Well, First Baptist family, good morning. It is so good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we will be in verses 11 through 16 this morning. And I, I, I said this morning elsewhere, I said there is not a single, single place in the entire world that I consider it a greater privilege to preach than at this place where I first heard and responded to the gospel. So it is a joy joy to be with you. And I have so, so many fond memories of this place and this people, and not just uh, spiritual memories, but memories of fun and joy. And I remember my, my very first job that I got paid anything for uh, in the world was, uh, if you've been here long enough, you remember before Upward Basketball, there was Junior Hornets Basketball, and we did that here, and I uh, kept score and officiated basketball, and one of the things that was so interesting to me about that and kind of fun uh, for me is one of the weird things about me, I love seeing behind the scenes, seeing the way things work, seeing the way things look when, when nobody's around. What does it look like in the cockpit of an airplane or in the tunnel that the football players run through before before a football game and I remember just being able to kind of walk around the church on Saturdays between games and you see oh there's the baptistry or you know this is what it looks like from up here behind the pulpit and you know generally speaking that's fairly harmless but sometimes being behind the scenes can get you in a little bit of trouble uh, and it did me years later uh, I was serving in uh, college ministry in Murfreesboro I did my undergrad at MTSU and they needed somebody to set up for the college prayer service on Monday night and I thought oh that's fine I'll do it and that required setting some lights setting some microphones making sure the piano worked um, making sure everything was set up well I did that that was no problem but somebody needed to actually make sure the microphone was working on the piano and the only song I know how to play beyond chopsticks is Let It Be by the Beatles, which is not on the uh, top 10 uh, uh, most played playlist in Southern Baptist churches uh, during corporate worship. So harm harmless enough, nobody was there, it didn't matter, I'm setting up. Well, what I didn't know is that there were a thousand people in the sanctuary just around the corner and even more so what I didn't know is there's a button that you can press on the sound system that amplifies it not just in the room but broadcasts it to the entire church. So as a thousand people were learning how to do evangelism training, they were hearing me singing when I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comforts me. And um, I got a talking to from the pastor. But uh, I survived and I'm here. And the point is not the discomfort and the awkwardness of that behind the scenes moment, but the point is we don't often see what's going on behind the scenes and behind the veil. But in this passage of Scripture, we actually do. And the Apostle Paul is showing us, number one, Jesus is alive. And number two, Jesus is not just twiddling his thumbs in heaven. He's active and he's doing something. And he has a strategy to complete his victory over sin and over Satan. And what we're seeing in this text is behind the scenes the way in which Jesus is using the ordinary to bring about the miraculous. And we see this in two parts this morning. Jesus' strategy to completely annihilate Satan starts with fueling his church and it ends with forming his people. So let's look together in this text. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. These words are, re are breathed out by the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit says to us in verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, 
the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be tossed about to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word for us today. So as we look at this text and we see the way Jesus is working in the life of churches to accomplish his mission, the first thing we see here in the first two verses is the victory of Jesus by the fueling of his church. And the main thing I hope we see in these verses is that Jesus is fueling and equipping and strengthening the local church because the local church itself is the tool that he uses to defeat Satan completely. We see this. He gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the verse says in verse 11, and it tells us why in verse 12, to equip the saints for ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So how does Jesus fuel his church? He fuels his church first through the gift of leadership. Notice what the text is saying here. It's talking about apostles and prophets and evangelists, and you may be saying, I'm not an apostle, I'm not a prophet. What Jesus is showing that he is giving gifts to the church. Jesus has ascended to heaven. The whole universe belongs to him. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's giving spiritual gifts to the church. And I don't know if any of you all have ever thought about spiritual gifts. It's often easy to think of spiritual gifts as attributes. I've got the gift of evangelism. I've got the gift of teaching. I've got the gift of hospitality. And those are real things that we see talked about in Scripture. But right here, the passage is talking about these gifts are people pastors and teachers and leaders. These are the gifts that this text is talking about. And I want us to remember two things when we see that. Number one, no pastor is perfect, but every single pastor is a gift according to this passage of Scripture. Now, I've been in in a lot of churches in my life, and I can say that the church is an easy place to grumble. And it may be that we could all stand to remind ourselves of this principle and this fact right here from Scripture, that your pastor, that the pastors of this congregation are a gift that God has seen fit to give this church as an instrument for your good and God's glory. But the second thing to think about as we think about this verse is that pastors are given as a gift, but the whole point of that gift is to activate and serve and equip you all for ministry and life and godliness and holiness. Verse 12, that's why it says to equip the saints. That's y'all. That's us. To equip the saints for ministry. The whole point of pastors, according to this text, is so the whole church can be prepared. So the pastor is not God's specialist to accomplish his plan on earth. Y'all are the instrument God is using to spread and share and voice and image the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's critical to understand that's what this text is showing us. Jesus has a plan 
for the fullness of time, the end of the world, and the coming of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that plan is to train and bless and equip the local church to spread and share and show the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when the people of God are united in common mission, serving together, living in submission to Christ, they show the watching world what the coming kingdom of God will look like when the people of God serve under the rule of God and share the word of God with joy and holiness. And when the church acts that way, it tells people about Jesus. And when it does... Hearts start changing, and Satan starts losing. And Jesus is saying right now, this local church, these local churches around Clarksville, Tennessee, around Middle Tennessee, around the United States, around the world, are the tool, the chisel, the instrument, the weapon that I will use to destroy Satan completely. And that means if you are a follower of Christ, if you are in Christ, God is calling you to active service and that's a word that some of us may need to just be reminded of because it has never been easier to feel like you're part of something when you're actually pretty distant. In an age of podcasts, in an age of online ministries, in an age of Christian music to be found anywhere and everywhere. And I want to be clear, I'm not talking about health concerns. There are a lot of us that have had to make difficult choices. And during a pandemic, how and when is it safe to come to church? You take care of yourself. But what I am saying, it's easy for some people to think you know, I can go to church when I can, but me and Jesus, we're good. I read my Bible every now and again. I go when I can. I listen to Christian music when I drive. Those are great, but those things are supplements. And if you come to me and you say, hey, I've got a great diet. I am taking magnesium. I'm taking iron. I'm taking fish oil. I'm taking vitamin A, vitamin B. I'm taking the whole alphabet. I'll say, you know, that's great, but that's not a diet. That's a drugstore, and it's a shame uh, because you need nutritional value. And podcasts are great, and online preachers can be great, and Christian music is great, but these are supplements. And life together in the local church is both the weapon that God is promising to use to defeat Satan and the delivery system that God is promising to feed you with. So don't cut yourself off from blessings. Don't cut yourself off from God's plan for your life. This text is telling you that you need your pastor. You need your church. You need one another. But God isn't just fueling the church through leadership. He's fueling the church through togetherness. And we see this in verse 13 in three particular phrases. The verse in 13 uses the language first of we all. And says Paul is saying, I don't have in mind the individual. I have in mind the whole church. Because Christians don't grow first and foremost individually. They grow together. We aren't built up individually. We are built up when we hear the waters of that baptistry sloshing around. We are built up when the Holy Spirit works through the preaching of someone standing up here and opening the same book we've been opening as Christians for the last 2,000 years. When we drink grape juice and we eat bread and we serve and we share and we go out throughout the city of Clarksville telling people about Jesus, that is how we grow and it seems so ordinary and it seems so basic, but that is exactly how God works time and time again throughout the scripture he takes the ordinary and brings about the miraculous but notice how he does it the second phrase here is the knowledge of the son of God we don't have special skills we don't have special tools we have the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel of Christ is the instrument that God has promised to use not just 
to bring you into the Christian life, but as the reminder that you need every single day that you're a sinner, that God has washed you, that He's adopted you, that you have an inheritance, that you're no longer in bondage, that you're free to live in holiness and joy and peace. And every week as we come together in worship and in small groups and in Sunday school classes, this local body is communicating to each other the knowledge of the Son of God. And we need these reminders because it brings about the third thing in this verse that we want to look at, the word unity. Attain the unity of the faith, verse 13 says. This is the reason God calls us together in the local church. Because when we do, when we come together and we gather over the word, we remember the urgency of the task before us. We remember the fact that 155,000 people every single day are dying and headed into a Christless eternity. Imagine the city of Clarksville being wiped off the face of the map every single day. That's the reality of the evangelistic task that we have before us. And when we gather and when we focus on that, it changes us. And it reminds us we have to combat Satan's lies, but not one another, first and foremost. And too often it's so easy to be focused on what somebody said on Facebook or what we see in politics or culture or on TV or what someone in the congregation said about this or that. And brothers and sisters, I want to remind us that Christianity is a team sport. And this text is reminding us that we need one another and Satan would love nothing more than to distract us with small grievances that feel big. And I don't know the circumstances, but I know in a church of this size or any size, there could be conflict about something at some point, at some point in history. And God has determined, though, as a reminder to all of us, as you look to your left, as you look to your right, this text is telling us that God has pulled these people together, the people of the First Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, in his wisdom, because in part, we need each other not only to share the gospel, but to live the Christian life together. And that's a gift of grace and a reminder to us. So let's believe what Jesus says and let's live like that. But the second primary thing that we see in this text is not just that Jesus fuels his church. Jesus also forms his people. And what I want us to see here more than anything else is that Jesus is showing us you need a lot of things in your life. But more than anything else, you need to be made into the image of Jesus Christ. And we see Jesus forming us in two ways here in this passage. First, he's forming us away from what the passage calls cunning. We see this in verse 14, that we may no longer be children, the text says, tossed to and fro by the waves, and watch this, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So the first thing we see right here in this passage is a warning. Paul is refusing to let us lose sight of the fact that we're at war. Now, if you're a Christian, Satan knows he's already lost you. But he also knows that you are the instrument, that this church is the instrument that God is using to defeat Satan, to spread the gospel, to add people to the kingdom of Christ for eternity and he wants you to be as complacent and ineffective as humanly possible 
And he will entice you with work, with money. He will try and make Jesus seem too boring or too complacent. But what Paul is showing us here is that every single one of us is being shaped and formed. And there's a competition for the affections of your heart and the actions of your life. And what I mean is that every single day you're becoming more like someone. More like Jesus or more like someone else. And here in this text, we see Paul warning against people who are spreading false doctrine. And the danger is that people are becoming, are hearing that and becoming more and more like these false teachers. And the truth is, every single day, every one of us is feeding our soul and our heart and our imagination with something. And the truth is, every single day we're being discipled and shaped and formed. So the question is, what's discipling us? And who's discipling us? Are you being shaped by Jesus through his word and through the local church? Or are you being shaped subtly by something different? Are you being shaped by the things that you're most passionate about? Satan will take important things and make them feel ultimate. Whether it's money, whether it's politics, whether it's things in the culture whether it's status or prestige, because he knows these things can feel more real to us because they're immediate and we can see them and we can hold them and we can put them in our bank accounts and we can see them on television. But I want to remind us that Satan is not afraid of losing some battle in the culture or losing a political election, as important as those things are. He's not concerned about money. Remember, he offered to give Jesus as he's standing on the mountain. He says, if you bow the knee, I'll give you every culture. I'll give you leadership over the whole world if you give me your soul. What Satan is afraid of is a church united and growing because it is the body with Jesus as the head that will stamp on his feet and crush his head when Jesus brings in the fullness of the kingdom of God. He knows the church is the weapon and he will do everything in his power to make the church and you less effective more complacent and drawn to counterfeit versions of the good life that will never satisfy you. So Jesus is saying, look away from that. And then he's saying, look toward something else. Look toward your eternity. We see that in verses 15 and 16. Again, it says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Notice this, we are to grow up in every way, not just in our knowledge, not just in our Bible memory, not just in our service, but every aspect of our life is to be transformed into him who is our head. What's important to see here is God is shaping all of you and every single aspect of you. Why is he doing that? Because you are actually united to Christ. If you look around the New Testament, you will see the, the words in him over and over and over again. And that's not just a poetic way of saying you trust in Jesus. It's because when you become a Christian, God takes you and he takes Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he unites you together so that your sin becomes his and paid on the cross and that his righteousness becomes yours and pays the penalty for your sin. And not just that, over time, through the power of the Holy Spirit works within you and makes you more like Jesus who you are connected to. Why is he doing that? That's the question. It's because Jesus is preparing a future for you. Jesus has been crowned 
the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's been given the whole universe as his inheritance. And if you're in Christ, he will share that with you throughout eternity. And if you're in Christ, Jesus is preparing for you an eternal future that is greater and more glorious than anything that you can imagine. And I recognize that in a room this size, there are many of you who may be dealing with incredible and very real pain. It may be a job loss. It may be a diagnosis. It may be family issues. It may be trauma that you're recovering from. And the promise of this text is that Jesus is telling you directly, I love you. I love you so much that I am uniting myself to you and I will liberate you and give you grace and joy and peace even in the midst of your grief. And I love you so much that not a single detail of your life will escape my notice and I will only allow exactly what is necessary to conform you to the image of Christ and take all the things that happen and leverage it for something even better than you can even imagine. Jesus is forming you, not just because the local church is the way that he defeats Satan. Jesus is forming you because he loves you. He's shaping you because he's preparing you for something incredible. And this text is saying, hear that word and cooperate with what Jesus is doing in your life. Work with what he's trying to do in your life, in the world, and through the local church. And then Paul brings all of this back together in the very last verse when he says the whole body. He's talking about this metaphor of the body. The whole body joined together by every joint with which it is equipped when it's working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And the most interesting language to me in that verse is the word joints. It's easy to pass over. It's easy to kind of gloss as just, you know, seems like a metaphor that Paul's using but it has everything to do with your life and your place in God's mission in the world. Why is that? So the context of this passage, remember, is God is giving gifts to the church, pastors and leaders and teachers. The jobs of those pastors and leaders and teachers are to equip the church so that the church can go out and work and serve and share the gospel. So in the context of this passage, the joints are talking about the pastors that we saw earlier in the verses. But the interesting thing is about joints, uh, you don't need to be a medical doctor to know that they're not the major parts of the body. They, they connect things. They provide stability. They're not really designed to be in the spotlight. So if you were watching the Olympics a few weeks ago, like our family was, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know a thing about all sorts of sports. You know, you know our family sitting there yelling, you know, about gymnastics and, and the winter curling and just things we have no idea about. And you hear all sorts of commentary when you're watching the Olympics on television because these are some of the most incredible athletes in the world. So you can be watching Olympic weightlifting and say, oh my goodness, look at the shoulders on that guy. Or you can be, you know, looking at cycling and, you know, look at the powerful legs on this guy. You can watch every Olympic from now until the rest of your life, and I'm pretty sure you're never going to hear, oh my goodness, look at the joints on that athlete. They don't draw attention to themselves, and they're not designed to. We don't have impressive joints because in a properly functioning body, you don't really pay attention to that. But remember this. Realize the implications here. If the pastors and teachers are the joints of the body, that means you all are the muscle 
The joints are here to stabilize the working of the body, and the people of God are the muscle. So if the nations are going to be reached, it's not just because the head, our Lord Jesus Christ, is doing something. It's not just because the joints, the pastors and teachers and leaders are serving and equipping. It's because the whole body working together is mobilizing to share and live out the gospel. If the muscles are going to be strong, then they need to be exercised together in the context and life together in the local church through life together, through love for one another, through a commitment to grow and learn and share. So brothers and sisters, in this text, we are seeing literally the strategy of Jesus Christ in heaven right now saying, this is my plan to usher in the end of human history and the fullness of the kingdom of God. He's assembling an army. And if you're in Christ, you're a part of that. And he's doing it right here in local congregations just like the First Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee. You are a part of the victory march of Jesus Christ over his enemies through your commitment to this local body of believers. It's an incredible thing to stop and think about. You are a recipient of a promise that God will form you and bring you all the way home. And when you hear this, the demands of this text are not that you need to go out and be a double PhD in Hebrew and Greek and become a New Testament scholar. The call of this text is to be faithful to what the Lord has called you to do in your life, to live together in peace and harmony and love and bearing with patiently with one another in love for the people who are at this church and in love for the people in the community who do not yet know Christ but need to hear his gospel. Sometimes the most Christ-like thing that you can do is just to wake up and take the next step. To wake up, be faithful, keep plugging along, and be faithful in the arena that God has called you to. Be faithful in service and attendance to this local church, bearing with one another. Because when you serve faithfully, when you crucify your preferences, when you love people who may not look or sound or dress or socialize or root for the same team that you do, you are doing nothing less. You are doing nothing less than joining in the defeat of Satan and the triumph of Jesus Christ. So rest in the fact that God is on the move and stand amazed in the fact that you are a part of that plan. And then become a part of what's going on in the little outpost that God is using, the church. Become involved in God's plan for the world, which is the church. Because the Christian life is active. The Christian life is engaged. We never just let it be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word and your grace and your truth. We pray that you would use this text through the power of your Holy Spirit to work a divine effect in each of our hearts chiseling away sin and making us more like Jesus because that is the thing that we need more than any gift or any task or anything in the whole world. 
Please make it so in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And brothers and sisters, we come to a time of response right now. And if you do not yet know Christ, this opportunity is for you. Everything that I was saying about being united to Christ is offered to you. There is no sin that is too great that you cannot be saved, and there is no failure too big that Jesus cannot redeem. As Christians, we believe that we are broken, that we are separated from God, and that the only fix for that is Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life on our behalf without sin, that he was crucified on the cross as punishment for all the sins of the world but that God raised him from the dead to show that death no longer had hold over him. And if you look away from your sin and trust in Christ, flee to him saying, I believe that you are the Son of God who lived and died and lives again for me and follow after him, he will save you. That offer is before you right now. There will be ministers at the front. If you would like to join this local church, if you need to follow the Lord in believers' baptism, if you just need to come down here and pray, if you need to talk to someone, that offer is open. And for the rest of us, the gospel is just not about how you start the Christian life, but how you live it. You need to be reminded of the fact that you're a sinner in need of grace, in need of gospel every single day, daily bread and fresh mercy from our Lord. And if you need to talk to someone about that, when the word of God goes out, it, it calls for a response in our heart. So prayerfully consider, what is the Lord saying to you today? This platform is open. Let's sing together, worship together, and let's pray. Father, send forth your word. Encourage your people in the midst of all that's going on. And if there are those who do not yet know Christ, let this place be a place of mercy and open arms. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.